Radio. Hello, folks, and welcome to a Saturday edition. Uh, I think that we're going to get on my line. And uh, do a little podcast Saturday night about trains and uh, see what everybody likes on that. So, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about some trains. This is going to tell us come on and, and I don't know if we're going to do this every Saturday thing it might be in every other Saturday thing but um, I, I was just going to tell them that we watch a guy on YouTube called Heist and um, he does a podcast called Three Quarters of an Idiot where it's kind of this same uh, premise uh, where yeah. they talk about different railroad things and it's kind of a round robin where everybody discusses one, one uh, subject um, and I thought we could do it tailored towards uh, the, the uh, MTM, um, you know, do some shows. Maybe we can do a show out there at the MTM live one time. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about uh, different train incidents and uh, talk about maybe things they could have done to prevent it or things that they did wrong. Um and the three that we're going to talk about are the uh, Lac-Megantic uh, derailment that happened probably, what, five, six years ago? And then we're going to talk about the derailment of the Big Boy uh, 305. And then we're going to talk about the um, Gettysburg uh, steam incident. Uh, which happened in on June 16th of 95. Um, so, Bailey, if you want to lead us off, you can go ahead and uh, tell us tell us about Lac Megantic and and what happened there. Okay, so Lac Megantic involves a, sub, a subsidiary uh, locomotive uh, railroad, or if I remember correctly, it's the CP or CN, if I remember. Um, Locomotive is a C30-7 for in the Burlington Northern Paints game. And the engineer, when he gets to the outskirts of the black flag, the train is way too long to fit on the uh, siding, so he puts it on the main line. Well, C30-7 decides at this point that it is time to yoink a cylinder through the black, and it starts to fire inside of the locomotive. Uh, fire crews are called to to uh, put out the fire, but the only way to put out the fire is to uh, turn off the locomotive, which mm-hmm. they do. What they don't realize is this also eventually will bleed the air brake system on the locomotive, and what happens is that during the night, 
see all the brakes are fled completely, and the locomotive rolls down the hill towards Lockmont Gun T. And this is a crude, it is, it's a crude oil train. And it rolls down Lockmont Gun T, takes a corner too fast, derails, and blows up. Um, the problem is, is that people would immediately, um, mine's kind of short because I kind of don't, I only know like the bits and pieces mm-hmm. of it. Um, the engineer should be at fault, but at the same time, I absolve him of his problems because of the fact that the original company, uh, didn't really, uh, show any sort of safety or situational awareness for the actual train itself. The engineer had no brake button. So he was just, you know, he was engineer, brakeman, and he was supposed to also watch his own points, which, you know, that's fun. Right. Well, uh, and I think what you were saying was that uh, due to budget cuts, they went down to one-man crews, which yes. in the locomotive industry is really frowned upon because that's when accidents yes. happen. I mean, you could do a one-man crew if your locomotive is a freaking Plymouth switcher. You can't do that with a Super 7 GE. Possible. Right. Now, I mean, the only real thing that you can touch on for them doing differently is have a two-man crew. That's really the only thing you can put down on this. Right. Well, and the fact that he only, the fact that he only applied one mechanical brake. Uh, yes. Before he left. Mm-hmm. So. so I and I think I think that's pretty crazy. But the the thing that I find noble about that is so when he left, <clears throat> when he knocked off for the night, he went in town to Lac Magantic to a hotel. Well, when his train came into town and and blew up and derailed, he was out helping rescue people. And and he felt really bad about it because uh, he knew it was his train. Yep. And I I I know that that's changed. Uh, a lot of things have changed due to that. I don't exactly know off the top of my head what has changed. Um. But I know that the town of Lac Magantique, uh unfortunately lost a lot of. Um, historical buildings uh, in the downtown due to the derailment. And I can't remember I can't remember what it was hauling. I think it was crude oil. I don't think it was like Crazy 8 where it was carrying like molten phenol or anything like that. I think it was just crude oil. Crude oil still burns. It does have flashpoint. Right. What are your thoughts on this, Lucas? I I honestly have not heard of this, so that is insane. Like, like with the full series of how a piston blew out the basically the roof of the locomotive. Yeah, and then the whole fire, and then pretty much becomes a full-on runaway. That is just wow. Well, and the interesting the interesting thing that I. Is that uh, when he pulled the train to a stop for a night for the night, 
he had noticed during his travels that there were signs that that piston was ready to eat itself either out the top or down through the deck and he didn't anything i mean i think i think he just he matter of factly on his end of day reports to said oh yeah it um it's smoking like it shouldn't and that's all you know he didn't investigate he didn't saw mechanics or anything like that so but i mean that's i mean honestly with the whole mentality of the river that's not his job right yeah right i mean you're just there to drive the train you're not there to fix it but as a driver you should you should know your vehicle no matter what you're driving and know it's engineered Right. Engineer, we're not in England. We're in America. Here. Well, I'm just saying no matter what you're driving, car, boat, plane, whatever. Um, so that is... Your, your train autism is showing. Right. Well, and, and here's a funny thing. So in my other podcast, um, I did a, uh, I did an episode, pardon me, I did an episode on neurodivergency. And neurodiversity, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm ADD. Um, I'm on the Asperger's. Really? Yep. I'm on the Asperger's scale. Really? Because I'm, we just didn't know this already. Well, I mean, you know, like mine, like the three of us, I know the fact that we all are. Uh, and the funny thing is, is people that are neurodivergent uh, really do have a gravity towards trains. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. But um, that's that's an interesting cool. thing. Well, I mean they are cool and they're fun, and uh, you know that's what I like. That's what I like about volunteering at the MTM is, like we've said before, who else can walk up to a SW1 and throw their hand on a on a rail, you know, or work on it? Um, not a lot of people get to do that, and I think that's pretty cool. And I think that. You know, for all of us, it, it gives us a, a, a thing to do. Because otherwise, I think we'd be sitting at home going nuts. Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile me getting to see the SD9 with the crankshaft open, and instead of being, like, you know, super cool touching the crankshaft, my, my ass went like this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Touch everything. All right. Well, should I go next, or yeah, you, you can go to... ahead and go next. Why you can. Why didn't you tell us about the day a big boy died? Right. All right. All right. So this is like nineteen, like forty-six or forty-seven, like after World War II. Yeah. Um. So it started out as a maintenance of way crew was just trundling down the tracks on like a speeder or a hand car. And they saw this farmer trying to get, uh, I got a, basically a small herd of horses that are at standing as sheep. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're, they're like, oh, we'll help them cross the tracks. So they sent uh, one person out to each of the, each of the switches, mm-hmm. and they're going to wait for the next train to go through. Well, it turns out some of the crew... Um, on the maintenance of way, didn't understand English very well. 
And so he, so one guy is like, oh, so let's just go out and throw the switch. Okay. And so he walks out, throws the switch, and then as he's walking back to the help the sheep cross the tracks, they see 405 feet around the curve. And then as soon as the front engine set hits the, uh, come on, stay in. As soon as the front engine hits that switch, she ends up right on her side. Tender skids along and then has like 15, uh, like 15 cars that are full of like pigs and livestock, accordion mm-hmm. in and becoming splinters. So for the for the people watching and they don't really know what a big boy is, can you quantify how big these machines are and how heavy they are? All right. So the big boys are 132 feet long, 16 feet high, 11 feet wide. So think of like almost one and a half length of a normal school bus. Mm-hmm. And then the drivers are like 68 inches in diameter, so they're they're taller than me, and I'm five foot three. Yeah, they would they would be taller than me, and I'm six two. So yeah, and the big boys when they're fully operational, they weighed almost 600 tons, and they moved at 75 miles an hour as their top speed. Right. Sometimes even A80. Yeah. But as soon as, like, Big Boy hit uh, hit her side, uh, uh, when she flipped right onto her side, it was so fast that steam shot out of the back head of the locomotive and basically killed the fart, killed the engineer, fireman, and I think, and the brakeman. But they managed to get the brakeman out, and he was conscious for a little bit. Then he blacked out. They managed to get him to a hospital, and then later passed away due to the burns. Right. I um, when I was when I was researching this, I heard that uh, the brakeman held on for I think two more days after um, after the incident, and then he succumbed to his wounds. Uh, I mean, we're talking we're talking steam burns. So yeah, um, a steam burn isn't like a regular burn; it keeps going. Um, and there's there's yeah. you know it, different thickness levels. Yeah, and then once they managed to re-rail 405, her cab was literally destroyed. Her front pilot was definitely missing a few pieces and take off some of the rods because of how bent they were. And then once they hooked her up to a freight train, I believe like she was at the very back, they took her to Cheyenne Yard, and one worker is quoted as saying, as Big Boy uh, trundled on by being pulled, I never thought I'd see the day for a Big boy would die. Right. Which is hilarious because she sails around. Yes. Yeah. The 405 was repaired, put back into service, 
and is still around. She is in a museum right now. All right, all right. Um, Wisconsin? No. Uh, Wisconsin has 417, I think. Like, I think. Um, I can look that. I can quickly look that up quick. See, Lucas, did you did you remember them saying anything? What happened to the sheep? Um, my my co-host Adrian is wondering. I'm guessing as soon as Big Boy left the track, I believe the sheep scattered. Screw this, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. And then they actually were hauling, um, there's actually a, a tiny bit of funniness to us, whereas um, the crewman was taking out some of the dead pigs. Someone actually regained consciousness, and they'd run around trying to catch these pigs. Well, and is the funny thing about the pigs is they they weren't just normal sized pigs; they were the Iowa breed, and those things are massive. So yeah, like yeah. like Lucas said, David, they, they, you know, the guys were out doing the rescue thing, and all of a sudden they'd look. One would get up, shake it off, shake off whatever he shook off, and just you know, yeet themselves out into the darkness and never be found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm guessing the sheep probably did the same thing as they would, they pretty much said, F this amount and scattered. Right. Yeah. Well, and I wanted, I wanted to thank you for uh, going ahead and, and, and showing that on, uh, showing that to us on, on your uh, HO set. That was actually pretty cool. Um I didn't. I didn't think of doing that. You know, sometimes we could. I could do that on my layout. You know, I've got to end scale up the stairs, but that was actually yeah. a pretty good idea to do that. Um, and it's like, hey, I have forty oh five. I can just reenact the full on rack. Right. So was there was there anything as far as so <clears throat> if if anybody knows anything about like NTFB reports. Um, like for aviation, whenever there's a wreck, there's a um, what they call an airworthiness directive. So basically, they 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 uh, they inspect everything. They go through what happened. They they find out what went wrong, and then the airworthiness directive is okay. What are things that we could have done better, or what are what things can we implement to keep this from happening? Do you know if they did anything like that for forty oh five? Um probably not, considering this is a forty, so everything on the steam engine was perfect at this time. Mm-hmm. So the only thing they could probably have done is just don't throw switches for farmers. Right. Yeah. Or make sure you have a list of the actual schedules and not just say, I'm gonna think all trains have already gone by and I mean, the thing is, is that the farmer had literally no business even being there in the first place. Right. You're, you're literally, at that point, you are trespassing on railroad property. Right. Yeah. So I wanted to take a little, I wanted to take a little break here. And uh, for those of you that are just joining in, we've got some people that are signing in. For those of you signing in, uh, we are Steel Rail Podcast. Um, we, all three of us, volunteer at the Minnesota Transportation Museum. 
Uh, we're open Saturdays and Wednesdays from 10 to 4. Um, and basically, we're here out of our love for um, uh, transportation of trains, uh, may it be steam or electric or diesel. Um, you may see our names here. I, um, I, I have one to say, guys. Yep. Guys, I have issues. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. So, Empire Builder, his I name have, is Bailey. I have money spending problems. All right. This gentleman's name is Actually, Bailey, you know and, and he went to Hub Hobby, I mean, and he got himself I mean, a big boy. What I should do is, since we're doing a podcast about stupid crap that happened, I mean, I, I have a hat that perfectly shows a railroad that should not exist. And it was literally the Three Stooges. That's what the railroad was. Right. And then... Yeah, Three Stooges. There's a mole, Larry, <laughs> Curly. Curly. <laughs> 500, basically. Right. So the gentleman with the Empire Builder, his name is Bailey. Uh, he's a mechanic. Um, we, the three of us are mechanics uh, as far as at the uh, museum. Uh, they basically train the volunteers to do what, what needs to be done. Uh, gentleman on the right corner there, uh, Milwaukee Road, that's Lucas. Uh, he and I are in the G-Scale Club together, and he's also part of the HO Club at the um, – at the museum. Yeah, we meet. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. The HL Club meets uh, every. We try to meet every Saturday. Um, lately, it's been a little spotty because of plans and everything else. But we try to meet every Saturday um, from about 10 a.m. till about noon. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little. But, and then I'll be going in and helping out with the maintenance and whatever else needs to be done. And then I'm also there, like, pretty much all day from, like, 10 a.m. till, like, till, like, 9 at night with Bailey. And Well, and, and Lucas, you and I are just relatively new to the museum. Uh, Bailey, how long have you been volunteering? Been there since November 26th of last year. But I've actually been around a bit longer because of my HO club. But I haven't really been volunteering until Bailey got me to volunteer. Because sure. you were saying your HO club, so basically where Lucas's HO club meets is in a uh, box car out in the parking lot. Uh, no, it's a maroon um, baggage car. Baggage car, that, sorry. That used to be an art car. It may as well be a box car on this way. Right. Yeah. All right. So we, so we talked about Lac-Megantique, and we talked about uh, 4005. And the story that I'm coming no. down with um, actually this happened. Is Gettysburg, this is why you can't even have trains in Gettysburg even after the Civil War. Right. Uh, shoot. Let me bring it up here. I X'd out of it. William, uh, William Sherman is a little upset about this. I when I was um, when I was researching this today, I think I came across his uh, his news like news snippet that he did. 
All right. So basically what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the Gettysburg um, steam explosion. And that happened um, June 16, 1995. And basically what that was, was uh, I don't know what class it was, but it was a steam locomotive uh, 1278. Yeah, well, that's why. It was a Pacific. That's the first problem. Right? So 1287 with a train of six passenger cars um, made a two-mile, two 16-mile trips from Gettysburg to uh, Biggerville, Pennsylvania. Um, They were doing... Um, excursion tours, so kind of like what our museum does, but they had three of them. Um, they successfully did two tours during that day, and the accident happened during the third tour, which was a dinner excursion. Um, and actually, what I'm what I'm doing is I'm actually reading uh, excerpts from the um, NTSB. Uh, report. I don't know what's going on here. There. So they they did two trips, um, and then they, it was time at six o'clock. It was time for the dinner run. So they started their third and last trip of the day. Uh, it left Gettysburg with 310 passengers for a round trip to Mount Holly Springs, Pennsylvania. When the passengers were to have, where the passengers were to have a catered two-hour dinner on a local, uh, from local restaurants uh, before being returned to Gettysburg. After the train left Gettysburg, the co-owner and operator of Gettysburg Passenger Services, Inc., um, basically followed, got in her car, and followed the excursion train. Uh, and the the purpose of her close-by uh, automobile would be in case um, they had an emergency or they had the, some sort of communication, which that, to me, doesn't seem right. I mean, with our, with our excursion operations, we don't have any chase vehicles, and that's not normal. Yeah. Uh, that that tells I mean, me that something's not, up. It's not unwelcome. You can chase the train. Right. It's just that yeah, I'm gonna chase next year because there's no real good roads for that. Right. So uh, she's the lady that's driving is co-owner of this um, uh, the tourist railroad. Her husband is the engineer aboard 1278, uh, and he had a cell phone himself. Uh, he had a radio and a cell phone. Uh, the conductors and passenger service personnel on the train had two-way radios. Um, when the train left Gettysburg, uh, railroad freight train, uh, it was routine procedure for the Gettysburg Railroad freight train locomotive to act as a helper. Um, so basically, at some point, you know, a lot of um, a lot of excursion 
uh, railroads do that because they don't want to wear out their their steam equipment because they don't make them anymore. And part. Well, I mean, the other thing that so people, I'm gonna just, I'm sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna help people understand this. So yeah. Comments. Whenever they see a steam engine that has a diesel bumper, they always get mad that it's like, oh, well, the diesel's doing all the work. The steam engine's just gliding around. And it's like. I'm sitting here in the comments section going, you know, if you own this steam engine, you can do what you want with it. Unfortunately, you don't own it, so shut up. Right. They want to preserve something that's older than you times probably five. So get over it. Yeah. Deal with it. For God's sakes, when the big, for instance, when 4014 pushed that stalled freight, yes, 4015 was probably in notch one, maybe notch two. And the only reason it was doing this was not because it wanted, it was showing like, oh, the big boy's weak, can't do this. It's doing this because if the big boy stalls, the locomotive behind big boy is more than capable of doing it. Right. So, all right. So the, the helper, the helper locomotive, which was a diesel electric latch is on. And as they're going, it says, according to testimony, a check valve, a one-way valve between the feed water feeder pump, the feed pump, and the boiler had been leaking all day. Even though the valve had recently been repaired on a previous trip that day, when the locomotive, when uh, 1278 was running backwards next to a double-tiered Uh, open observation passenger car, the spray from the leaking check valve necessity basically made people clear half of the observation car because they were getting hit with hot water. Um, And that was, that was during like one of its last runs. Um, And I sent you guys, I sent you guys a video of this happening. Yes. Um, it was like a two-minute clip. And uh, so basically what happened is um, it ended up having what's called a backdraft uh, in the boiler. And basically what happened was um, usually those backdrafts happen when there's no water on the crown sheet very important thing about a steam locomotive is it has to have water to stay cool. If it doesn't have water, it's going to blow up. Um, And basically what happened was they're going down the line, and in the video you see this big cloud of steam erupt out of uh, the cab, and then the train comes to a stop. Well, what happened was um, you had a steam explosion. Well, there's three guys in the cab. Uh, all three guys were burnt. I think the it said the um, the engineer I think was burnt like 60% of his body, um, and that unfortunately sucks because as we were talking about steam, it sucks. Um, so basically what happened is, uh, NCSB came out, uh, FRA came out, which FRA is the Federal Railroad Administration, 
uh, NCFB's National Transportation and Safety Board. Uh, they take care of all types of DOT crashes, um, airline crashes, uh, railroad crashes. They're, they're the governing body that comes out and takes care of those things, does the investigation, gets to the bottom of them, hey, figures one, it out. One second, all right. Yep. One sec. So someone in the chat telling me and Lucas to turn off our phones. Well, unfortunately, the thing is that we're on our phones in the right. podcast because we do not have laptops. Yeah. Yeah. So I understand this feedback, but I don't want to make this sound like a bad thing I'm about to say, but get over it. <laughs> that is I my co-host, co so be nice. I'm a, I'm a, I get it's your co-host, but at the same time, I'm a mechanic. Get over it. Could be worse. Yeah. Okay. So, um, basically, so NTSB came out, FRA came out, and what happened was um, they did uh, destructive uh, investigations where they start pulling things apart and looking at the steam lines and looking at uh, what happened. Um, and the interesting thing is, is when they poked their heads in the firebox and they looked at the crown sheet, that sucker was buckled about 12 inches. Um, and the interesting thing about that I was reading was wasn't as severe of a explosion because of the way that the crown sheet and the staves were uh, constructed. Uh, they use they use different types of crown staves uh, interchangeably, and that added more um, that added more uh, stability and structure to the firebox because uh, they said if they had just used one, it would have gone up, and if it would have gone up, it would have taken the locomotive, it would have taken the first couple of cars with it. Um, so basically, during during their deconstruct their deconstructive um, investigation, they noticed that the inspection light on the back of the water glass was out, which that was a federal recommendation. Well, it wasn't a federal recommendation. You have to have legally. You have to have a light uh, on the back side of your. Uh, on the back side of your water glass to see the level of the yep. water in the boiler. They didn't have that. And then when they pulled the pipes apart to look, the inside of the pipe was 80% occluded by hot, hard water buildup. Now, this might be frustrating to the three of us because we're both, we're all three of us, we're, we're kind of steam guys. Um, that angers me because every day when you run your locomotive, you're supposed to do a water glass blowdown. And basically what that water glass blowdown does is it prevents occlusion of those pipes and it prevents a, 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 a explosion like that. Uh, so what are you, you guys' thoughts? Because another thing that I found out was the only person that knew how to do a water glass blowdown was the uh, owner of the company. Um, and he yep. didn't tell any of the engineers. He didn't show any of the firemen how to do it. Um, so since, 
since you guys are Steam guys too, I kind of want to hear you hear you guys uh, weigh in on that and, and see what you think. Well, I mean, it's basically, for instance, like this: if you had a card, okay? it's the equivalent of you are you have your cards, but instead of running the amount of oil you need, you're running maybe two quarts of maybe six quarts of oil. So you have two quarts, and yeah, maybe it'll work, but there's not going to be any oil inside the pan where it needs to be. So you're just going to have this. It's like literally doing this. It's like taking a shower, but the way you take a shower is you stick a water bottle above your head and let it drip down your body. That's your shower. That's the same way that's going on with a steam locomotive. Right. A steam locomotive has to have water surrounding its boiler. Mm-hmm. But, in the, but the ground sheet surrounds the water jacket. So it be, it's the basically what you have is is that the best way to describe a steam locomotive is to actually describe a nuclear reactor. That's literally the best way to do it. Right. And if you have no water that's cooling the reactor, it'll eventually melt down. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what a steam locomotive will do. However, there's two ways that this will happen. You'll either have the ground sheet that'll just, the water will just evaporate from the immense heat and it will just melt itself. Or you can have the far worse thing where the crown sheet cracks and then all the water surrounding the boiler flashes into steam. Right. And then the locomotive explodes. And yeah. the best way to describe what this looks like is if you go look up, I forget the number of it, but if you just go look up uh, Allegheny-class steam locomotive explosion, there's nothing left. The boiler is gone. It's just yeah. a frame. And these the firemen and engineer were killed so fast that when they died, they were alive. Yeah. So basically, it would be the equivalent of you sitting in your car, and your car just exploded in front of you, but instead of you seeing a flash, it's you rising out of your seat and going, wait, what the hell is going on now? What What is this? Right. That's how quick they died. Yeah. So that's what can happen with a steam engine. It is not a toy. That you can just see yeah. around it. Right, and that's why massive amounts of maintenance and massive diligence and situational awareness. We have what? Around with these things. We have three of them. We have three of them at the roundhouse, and none of them are working right now. Yep. No. Well, one of them did in 1999 was the last time she ever ran. Mm-hmm. And the only reason she does not run right now is because from age, her crown sheets cracked. Not from constant use. Right. Her crown sheets did crack from age, and they need to be replaced. Yeah. But they cracked after they did a full glass of water equals dead fire. So. Oh. Hmm. So after after the fire was gone and they dumped the ash pans, and they realized that the crown sheets were cracked. Right. And and people people really and cracking crown sheet cracking a crown sheet isn't even that hard. It's like breaking your head gasket. That's all it is. Right. When your head gasket goes in your car, that's the equivalent of crown sheet going. Yeah. And I I guess for me for me the thing that the, the way to describe it is refurbishing a diesel locomotive is a lot easier than a steam locomotive because there's quite literally one second yeah one second um in your 
thing in your uh, chat, uh, your co-host is asking what a chrono cheater. So yeah. inside of a inside of a steam locomotive firebox, you have I'm trying to get my camera here. You have the firebox and you have these little uh, bricks that the fire and the coal sit on. So basically, here's the best way to describe it. Right? Imagine you have a uh, let's say you have a uh, Weber uh, grill and you have charcoal inside the grill. Okay? So the by uh, grating where your food is, that's the bricks. So now imagine the charcoal is on the is on the grating. Mm-hmm. Well, the inside of the charcoal grill is your crown sheet. The crown sheet separates the boiler and water from the firebox itself. So water is constantly circulating around here to create a medium to right. stop it from just from just melting itself down. The fire will eventually, if there's no water around the crown sheet, the fire will eventually uh, melt through and it'll just, that's the end of it. Yep. So it's fire. See, the thing that uh, a lot of people don't understand is that in a steam locomotive inside the firebox, the firebox is literally the temperature of a blast furnace. It's about 2,000 degrees in there. Our tiniest steam locomotive, 328, her temperature inside of her inside of her firebox is about 2,100 degrees. So it is not cold in there. It is incredibly hot. And some steam locomotives now don't even use coal. They use oil, which makes it even hotter. Right. Really looking into, for instance, if they opened up the uh, firebox doors for Big Boy 4014, mm-hmm. if you looked inside, you'd be looking at the surface of the sun. Right. Yeah, because I believe that with that, probably be about almost 3,000 degrees. Yeah. Well, and we're talking for... I'm so happy that I'm in a, in a chat. Yeah. I'm so happy I'm in a chat where I can actually nerd out and be descriptive and people understand what well, I'm and, saying. And that's pretty nice. I'm not going to lie. That, that's why I wanted to do this because this is a, this is a, great, uh, a great platform to do it. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, a way I was going to quantify the, the temperatures in a firebox is um, basically the temperature that you have in a firebox is the same type of temperatures that you have in a blacksmith forge. Yeah. Yeah. With like five times the heat. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I wish you really, really wanted to. You could, you could cook eggs on the back head of the freaking firebox <laughs> inside the locomotive if you wanted to. Okay. That hot. All right. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's, like when Isaac cooks burgers. Right. So let's let's talk about that for a while. So I mentioned I mentioned Heist in the beginning of the uh, the podcast. Uh, he's a gentleman that the three of us watch on YouTube. Um, he's what Colorado. Um, yes. Colorado Railroad Museum. Yeah, so yeah, Golden Colorado is around where the museum is. Yeah. So yeah. he's the one that has the podcast Three Quarters of One Idiot that we're uh-huh. kind of, you know, running off of. Um, so basically when they go to start when they go to start one of their steam locomotives, they have a lot of downtime. Uh, and he just came up with what if I tried to cook food because 
if you look uh, back in history uh, in England, it was common for them to wipe off their uh, coal scoops and cook some bacon or just something small that they'd have a snack. Well, Heist was like... It would have been... It would have been actually, it wouldn't have been bacon. I think it would have been, it would have been called a kipper, if I remember correctly. Well, it, it's not bacon as we see it. It's like a thick cut of ham. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's imagine, it's imagine, uh, imagine like something that's a little thicker than Canadian bacon. That's what they would be cooking. Right. Yep. Yeah. So Heist, Heist was like, well, I'm going to do a couple of videos of it. And I think he did, he did pizza. He did burgers. The one that I was surprised about is he did a rack of ribs in the smoke chamber, which I thought that was pretty cool. Yes. And apparently they came out really well. And I believe the latest, yeah, I believe the latest one he did is he actually cooked bacon and eggs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. See, now, Here's another thing to help people understand uh, how we're able to cook these. So, personally, uh, Lucas has a number five Milwaukee Road coal scoop, and I have a number two Great Northern Railway coal scoop. I actually Um, have it right here. So, yeah, he can show you. I don't have mine. I'm not at home, so I can't show you. But um, the thing is, that that shovel, what people don't understand, that shovel end is not steel. That's cast iron. You're yeah. literally holding a you're holding a shovel that is the same uh, material that they use for old wood fired uh, pizza. Uh, right. Um, yeah. The same material. The same material is as the skillet right here. So you have to understand with uh, with the steam engines inside their uh, firebox. That steel, that cast iron, is going to heat up a lot faster than a stove will. So by the time that it's by the time that you think, uh, oh well, the bacon hasn't been cooked yet on your stove, our bacon's being cooked within 20 seconds because of the basically blast furnace heat out of the firebox. Right. Yeah. Bituminous coal burns very hot. Yes. So you have you it would be the equivalent of you like. You could, if you really, really wanted to, you could take a giant slab of ham mm-hmm. and you could probably cook it through in two minutes with the amount of heat that is coming out of the firebox. Well, I mean, when yeah. he was when he was doing the pizzas, he'd like he had pre-made dough, so he he he'd sanitize the scoop, he'd laid out the dough, and then when you know he he temp gun the 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 firebox, and he's like. <laughs> Well, it'll be done in like three minutes, <laughs> and it yeah. was. I mean, he a really crunchy body. body. He actually had it with like twenty seconds. Yeah. If you actually watch his bacon and eggs video, you'll notice that there is actually a bacon grease fire inside of this coal scoop. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, and just keep this in mind that the bacon grease fat is boiling hotter than it actually would on your stove. So literally the bacon is literally baking itself in its own fat grease. 
Right. Yes. That is how hot it gets in a firebox, where you could literally stick the shovel in for two minutes and then pull it out and stick bacon on, stick it in there, and when you take that bacon right off, you could set the bacon in its own, in the other bacon's boiling grease. Yeah. And it'll, it'll literally cook it from just thermal heat. Well, and I thought it was yeah. funny when he was doing the burgers. Um, he made giant burgers. And it was funny because he put them on a scoop, and he'd, like, accidentally move the scoop, and you'd hear, you'd hear the, uh, the firebox go, woof, <laughs> it's the grease coming off of the yeah. scoop. So he actually, at the very end, uh, he throws a hamburger into the firebox for number 20. 20 is an awesome little yeah. gauge steam locomotive. Yeah. And you can literally watch as it happens. You can watch as the fire literally just goes woof. From the bacon, from the grease in <laughs> right. the fire. Um, yeah. So you just mentioned narrow gauge. Uh, do you gentlemen want to uh, talk about the difference between a standard gauge and a narrow gauge here in the U.S.? Lucas yeah. is going to do it better. Yeah, so narrow gauge is the three foot, where standard gauge is the four foot eight inches for us, for here in the U.S., where, uh, so, like, 20, 346, and 491, right. like, yep, down at the Colorado Railroad Museum. That is on three foot, so there's three feet between each rail. Mm-hmm. Whereas, standard gauge, there's four foot eight inches between each rail. Right. So, when you compare the difference between uh, narrow gauges and standard gauge steam engine, well, for standard, you need a lot more heat because it's a bigger locomotive. Whereas mm-hmm. narrow gauge, you don't need that. You don't need as much heat for to run a steam locomotive. But I believe 491, the largest uh, locomotive that they have, it pretty much could be put on on it like standard gauge wheels and then be turned into a standard gauge locomotive. If I remember, if I remember right, with the A37, I believe. Yeah, I know Ford Penny was a K37, but I, I could be wrong on that, so don't mm-hmm. quote me on that. So uh, I just remember, I think Heist talked well, about it. Uh, one of my absolute favorite uh things to understand uh, steam locomotives is from the narrator from a movie done in the 1960s by the Union Pacific Railroad known as Last of the Giants. Yes. And he describes it as such. 300 tons pressure was distributed to the boilers that created a fascinating counterpoint in motion, which is literally the, well, the two sets of drivers moving in basically tandem to each other. You have 300 pounds pressure of steam inside this boiler. Yeah. Whereas, say, a little... That is, that is crazy amount right. of pressure out of just a boiler. They've gone higher. But yeah. for a standard locomotive, that is quite a bit. Yeah. That's, why, for... that's why Big Boy Diesel is so loud. Yeah. Uh, Bailey, uh, Adrian makes so much noise when she's only going like 10 miles an hour. 
Bailey, Adrian wanted to know if she, if you can still find that movie, uh, that movie you were talking about, that ex- excerpt that you talked about. Yeah. Oh yeah. You go. You go. Literally, all you have to do is all you have to do is go and look up on YouTube "Last of the Giants," and the thing that will come up is what looks like the drivers of a giant steam locomotive. That's all you have to do. Okay. Yeah. The best way that you can the best the best way that you know that you're hearing it right is in the beginning you hear a big boy's Hancock three chime. That's the best way that you can tell you hit the right video. Big boy whistles are very distinctive. Yes. Basically here's the best way to describe it. If you hear in the beginning what sounds like a ship one. Right. Then you are in the you are on the right video. Yep. So yeah. why don't we, we – we've probably got about eight minutes left. Uh, why don't we big – boys, Big Boy's whistle literally sounds – her whistle sounds like something that belongs on a 1940s cruise liner. That's literally what her whistle sounds like. Right. Hey, Bailey, do you want to, do you want to tell the people at home um, – do you want to tell them something that will piss them off for the, for the Big Boy and um, – uh, Yellowstones that the Imanaga have. Well, is that the fact that they're Malay? <laughs> uh, I was gonna go with that. That the Yellowstones are more powerful than they. So are. here's the thing. So here's the thing. Um, the Malay is just a running joke that I do to make people unhappy. But, um, <laughs> it is actually true. The Minnesota DMNIR Yellowstones or Duluth, Mesabi, and Iron Range Yellowstones. They yep. have smaller drivers than the big boy. They, Oh, shit. you see that says, this is the most powerful steam locomotive. It is not. Right. Actually, it's to, even the DM&IR Yellowstones are eclipsed by the Virginian triplexes. Hmm. And those are eclipsed by the Virginian 2102s. Yes. So there, are steam, there were steam locomotives before Big Board that were even more powerful than Big Board herself. Right. Yeah. So we've got about five minutes left. Let's take those five notice minutes. How, you notice how the fact that you got you got five, you got three railroaders in here, and you know that they're railroaders when they address steam locomotives as she. <laughs> yes. Right. So we've got about five minutes left. Let's go ahead and let's tell the people um, that may not so know. Uh, so I, I was I was saying let's tell the people uh, what what the uh, MTM is about and basically what they can do if they want to either come see it or help out. So you literally literally all you need to do is have an interest in the railroad, and I mean you don't have to have an interest in the railroad, but it definitely helps having an interest in the railroad. Right. If you, if all, if you if really all you need is an interest in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a great museum. And if you, yeah. If you come volunteer, we have blacksmithing, we have woodworking, we have welding, we have, uh, we're even getting into technical act, um, we're even getting into, like, um, like, web page making for mm-hmm. our own museum, and we're trying to promote stuff in that, and, right. like, is pretty much you name it, pretty much we have it. We have model railroading, real life railroading, maintenance. Yep. Like 
we were, we're even working on um, 2156, Northern Pacific uh, 462. Very slow going, but we're making progress on it. Right. And if people, uh, if, if you go to Google and you put in Minnesota Transportation Museum, it'll come up. We have two locations. Uh, one location that we work out of is Jackson Street Roundhouse in St. Paul. Um, and then the other location is our uh, excursion location, which is up in uh, Osceola, Wisconsin. Yeah. And right now we have um, James J. Hill's son's personal car, the A11, there right now. <laughs> so uh, actually, here's this. Since, uh, Chris, you didn't hear this in the meeting. Oh, no, you did. Yes. Uh, good news for us. Our Great Northern Locomotive 325 should be returning within the week. Yes. Yes. I am excited for that. She is, in, she is an incredibly rare locomotive. She is one of 20 SDP-40 locomotives. That'll be, that'll be cool to see. And the other thing that makes her interesting, she is the sister of the Hustle Muscle. Gorgeous. She and, she and the Hustle Muscle were built right next to each other. Right. Well, and that's she what I was... always fun of having the, sister, the two sisters. Yes. I... I... And the Hustle... <clears throat> Go ahead. We're gonna have a fight to see who starts. Right. Oh, so I was I was saying when uh, before I started volunteering, I was looking at the, at the website and I was looking at the hustle muscle. And I'm like, one of my favorites. I get to see her. And the first day I get there, I'm like, okay, where is she? And they're like, uh, she's up in Duluth. Damn. <laughs> yeah. The old group of the museum uh, decided to blow up her engine. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but there's so many there's so many SD45s in the world. There's right. only 20 SDP40s. Getting it, and how many are left? To my uh, the Great Northern, I think uh, 325 might be the only one. Right. Yeah. So MTM's the pretty much the only Great Northern uh, has the only Great Northern SD. 340. Right. Uh, it's uh, your co-host is asking why blow up the engine. Well, it's actually the sad thing is the SD45 had a troubled uh, uh, beginning. Uh, the SD45s had a, were notorious for snapping the crankshafts in half because the engine wasn't designed to take that much power. The SD40-SD45-2 has remedied this problem with a billet crankshaft. That was a hell of a lot stronger, and that is what's actually currently in Great Northern 400, the Hustle Muscle. She has an SD45-2 prime mover, which eliminates her notorious crankshaft failure problems. Right. Yeah. Don't. Well, let's have about 10 seconds left. Um, I wanted to thank you guys for coming on tonight. I know it was kind of an ad hoc thing to do. Um, and we may either do it again next weekend or the weekend after. Uh, I will just let the followers know on Facebook what we're going to do. 
Um, and uh, it was great talking to you guys, and we'll see you on Wednesday for that meeting. All right. Bye. All right. Have a good weekend, gentlemen. Bye.